to the mic, they start dimming the lights, you start feeling alright. From Birmingham, home with the Teddy Longs, and the Ruben Studders, more once you discover, for all of the lovers, Whitney Houston and Roman Reigns, for all of the lovers, and Mickey James and Marvin Gaye, for all of the lovers, and Sasha Banks, Janelle Monet, Silk, Sonic, and Paige, allow me to say, look, I just found a place, we'd escape, every one of us, I was kinda late, cause I just made it off the struggle bus, walking by the fake, cause I know it's right in front of us, Yo, I ain't with the hate, gotta focus on what's great, ladies and gentlemen, Steph Hardy is on the air, had to drop a couple bars, just to make you all aware, so, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, you know I go by Joe or the wrestle, Hey y'all, welcome to the 80th episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. I'm so happy to be presenting this episode this weekend. So of course I've got your news and gossipish, and I've got a special Stars Fell on Alabama segment honoring the late great sensational Sherry, and I've got your weekly recap of Raw, Impact, and Smackdown. So sit back, relax, and listen to this great episode, the 80th episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Right, so in this news and gossipish segment, there is so much to talk about. And even when I thought that everything was done for this week in terms of me making my outline for what to talk about, wrestling just turned everything upside down Thursday night. Um, <laughs> in terms of WWE and its releases. Now, if you may or may not know, um, because I had one of my friends ask me about it on social media, shout out to you, Nora. Um Sometimes WWE goes through this phase where they release wrestlers who I guess they feel aren't necessarily um, doing as much as they would like for them to do or they're not giving them anything to do in terms of storylines or because of the fact that they just um, or because of the fact that um, they just their company is moving in another direction. So they decide to just let wrestlers go and in the past two years since the pandemic started um last year wwe has just been letting go of a lot of talent like it's just been really crazy how much talent they've been letting go like i saw someone on social media post a picture talking about the amount of talent that they've let go would almost create a whole nother wrestling promotion that's how many people they've let go in the last two years and but this one this time this past from this past Thursday was so heartbreaking that in the sense that there were so many people who you sort of hope the best for in terms of their athleticism and in terms of you know new leases on life with the draft and everything um you would hope would get another chance but now they're not getting that other chance because they've been let go so the list of people that have been let go from WWE as of Thursday was Keith Lee which really shocked me because of his talent um Karrion Cross and Scarlett, his fiance, um, who was once his manager in NXT, Eva Marie, Nia Jax, Ember Moon, um, Harry Smith, who was once attached to the Hart um, Dynasty, 
with TJ Smith and Natalia. Um, B Fab from Hit Row, who just made their debut on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. Katrina Cortez from NXT. Trey Baxter, um, who is actually in a relationship with Cora Jade, who they were actually alluded a lot to in the past couple of weeks on NXT 2.0. Um, Frankie Monet, which was really shocking as well to me. Grand Metalik, um, he's not from NXT, but he was a part of Lucha House Party. They let him go, and they also let Lince Dorado go as well. They let go of Jeet Rama, who I believe was one of their imports from India. Um, Oni Lorkin, Jesse Kamea, and the one that hurt me on a very personal level was Zeta Ramir, who went by AQA in the independence and actually trained at reality of wrestling which is booker t school in texas shout out to them um all of these were very shocking to me some of these were really shocking to me but a lot of them really shook me to my core on a personal level because of the fact of aqa being from alabama um she's from another city in alabama um she's not from birmingham where i'm from but just seeing her making it as far as she made it and having that upset match that she had in NXT before the 2.0 part um, against Tony Storm was really great and just seeing her talent you know displayed in that way was just really cool and I was happy to see her as part of one of the classes for NXT and just the idea that now she um, isn't there anymore breaks my heart but you know it's like I say on social media all the time you cannot count us Bama girls out. Do not sleep on Bama girls because once we get knocked down, it's only a few times where you'll knock us down until we till we get back up and show you that we are the truth. So I'm not, you know, this isn't the end for her. I'm definitely sure this isn't the end for Miss AQA. But just know that um, I'm always AQA. If, you're ever, if you ever listen to this, just know that I always support you and love you, you know, because us Bama girls got to stick together in this business. Um my heart was broken with Frankie Monet because she only had like one opportunity at the um, NXT Women's Championship um, when Raquel Gonzalez held it. And then it's like her being there was just kind of like confusing because after that point, you know, she was there with Robert Stone and everything, but they weren't really doing anything of note with her. And just the idea that somebody with her experience you know, got let go, which is really hurtful as well. And then for people to, you know, start up rumors about her being let go due to her age, that was hurtful too. So it's just kind of like, I would hope that wrestling was, was one of those sports where you could succeed at any age. Because when you look at people like Ric Flair, you know, even though he's very controversial at this stage right now due to his behavior from the plane ride from hell incident, it's like he was in wrestling until he was about maybe 60 years old. So why would there be a double standard with women being, you know, of a certain age in wrestling and not men? Because you also have people like DDP who started when he was like in his mid to late 30s. So it's just like, why would that be a thing? I would hope that ageism wouldn't be so much of a thing in wrestling as people say it is. So I'm hoping that her being let go had nothing to do with her age. And I'm wishing the best for her because, of course, she was a former knockout champion in Impact. So... And she's very accomplished, so I'm hoping that somehow or another she'll find her way elsewhere as well. But B Fab being let go just felt like a kick in the in the groin because even though she wasn't that much of a wrestler 
it's just the fact that her presence in hit row added a certain genetic qua to it um there was just the whole feminine as the hip-hop feminine aspect of it that she just gave and just the idea that she's gone you know and that representation for um that type of group is gone in terms of black women just disappoints me and even last night in watching smackdown when it was just the boys when it was just isaiah swerve scott and um asante and top dollar like i love all three of them very much and what they have to add to it but it just felt like that group was naked without her you know um, even though their segment with Sami Zayn was entertaining, I'm not gonna lie, it was funny, but just the idea that B-Fab is gone and the fact that they came out with their theme song and, and her voice wasn't even on it anymore was just hurtful. It was very hurtful. You don't, you no longer hear, hear, hero. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. So, and then there was, you know, a campaign on social media, on Twitter, that was um doing hashtag bring b fab back honestly if they decided to bring her back i wouldn't be mad about it um because i'm not gonna say that hero is nothing without her but there's something missing without her so yeah that really broke my heart and ember moon being let go broke my heart too because she's just so talented and i actually had the pleasure of meeting her at the um at the nxt live show that they did a couple years ago here in birmingham at the boutwell like I met her during her tenure as NXT Women's Champion and she was so nice to me and my future mother-in-law. Um, and I just, and just her talent was just so great, but it just seemed like something was always missing with her. There wasn't, it's like, even when she would revamp her character, there was just something that just, that they just wouldn't put behind her. And to see someone of her talent let go, especially after her bouncing back from so many injuries and stuff, it just hurts my heart. So. And then what even hurts my heart even more about Nia Jax was just the fact that she was going through mental health problems. And even when she was going to ask for an extension, you know, they just let her go. And she released a statement about it on um, social media. And it was just so hard. Like she said, I usually keep my personal life private, but yesterday's reports leave me with no option but to clarify matters. I recently took a short leave of absence from WWE for a mental health break. I've been working through so much more than I can share. And so I took some time with the full support of the company to take care of myself. Earlier this week, after WWE sent me my schedule to return to the ring for the November 15th show, I asked for an extension to my mental health break, feeling that I needed more time and hoping I would have the ongoing support of the company. I have given my all to for the past seven years. I did not receive a response. The next I heard, I was being released. My vaccination status was never mentioned. I was never given, I wasn't given any choices or options. And she talked about further how it broke her heart to be abruptly let go without consultation when dealing with so much properly and how she loved her career and she loved the men and women that she got to work with. So it's just really painful all around because all of these people are dealing with things behind the scenes that we don't know about even with Keith Lee and all of his health issues and Mia Yim being a support system for him because that's her partner they they're engaged to be married um it's just really hurtful to see all these people are going through this but the thing about wrestling the thing about wrestling is just figuring out now that um WWE is not the end-all be-all there are so many different promotions that's looking for talent like these people. So these people can bounce back in such an amazing and resilient way. 
Um, so I wish all of these people the very best in their careers. I'm going to miss seeing them on national television every week, but I know that this isn't the end for them. So, um, you know, if they decide to go to AEW, that's great too, but you know, like, or impact and that's great as well, but you know, it's never truly the end. And also with the ring of ring of honor situation, all of those people, you know, it's never the end for them. So I'm wishing everybody the best that's dealing with different releases of sorts with ring of honor and also with this is with wwe as well so yeah also in the news to sort of take away from that um former AEW champion john moxley went checked himself into alcohol treatment um the same week that his autobiography was released so this was really heartbreaking to hear because he had just released his autobiography called mox and i know a lot of people have been reading it and saying it's really good he excuse me he released it on tuesday and then wednesday there was i mean and then later on that tuesday um aew president and ceo tony khan announced moxley's decision on social media he said and i quote John Moxley has allowed me to share with you that he is entering an inpatient alcohol treatment program. John is a beloved member of the AEW family. We all stand with him and Renee and all of his family and friends as he shifts his focus to recovery. John is making a very brave choice to get help and we're embracing his choice and supporting him however we can. I'm proud to call John a friend, and like many of you, I'm also a fan of Mox and look forward to a time in the future when he is eventually ready to return to the ring. Until then, thank you for supporting John and respecting his privacy at this time. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to to SAMHSA's National Helpline 1-800-662-HELP. And it was great to see all of the support that... um, it was great to see all the support that he was getting from people like Mick Foley and Brian Alvarez and Scott Fishman and of course Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful.com who has who had an, a, a crazy responsibility this past Thursday like God bless him um, it was just really great to see the amount of support you know for him in this um, aspect and we also have to you know support people when they're going through mental health problems like Nia Jax as well because I saw some people online who were talking about the idea that um, a lot of people were supportive of John Moxley but wasn't as supportive as Nia to Nia Jax and her mental health journey um, but here on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast, I support anyone who's going through any type of recovery because it's like I said, just because these people are on television doing superhuman things does not mean that they are any less human than all of us. So we have to learn to support everybody, you know, during their recovery process and not just give it to select people. So let's just, you know, keep that in mind and keep these people in our thoughts and prayers as they recover. Also in the news, we had Eric Bischoff criticizing AEW's presentation of CM Punk. Um, So it was reported by Bleacher Report that former WCW president Eric Bischoff has been critical of AEW lately and that he took aim in the manner of which AEW has presented and utilized CM Punk. And he talked about it on his 83 Weeks podcast. Um, and he took issue with the fact that AEW has primarily put Punk in matches against lesser known talent without much of a story attached. And so he was quoted as to saying, I think it's a mistake to put Punk on such a pedestal that you think he's so over that all he has to do is show up and sprinkle Punk dust 
on almost said punkle dust <laughs> punk dust on his opponent and that punk dust will elevate his opponent i'm not taking anything away from punk i think punk the way he's being used right now and this is constructive criticism i think they've diminished the perception there was always great equity in that perception he shows up does a great promo gets a great reaction and does pretty much nothing punk is coming yay punk is here yay punk showed up and punk's not doing anything but showing up getting that big pop just isn't enough so basically you know he arrived in AEW in august much to the happiness of the entire wrestling universe including myself um he returned to wrestling and everybody was really excited about that including me and it's just like you know we were happy because we never thought we would ever see this man in wrestling again you know after he had a really bad taste in his mouth dealing with wwe and we were excited about that and everything and he had a really great match in my opinion with darby allen um at all out and even though there wasn't that much of a story attached to it it was just sort of like a fantasy booking kind of thing now mind you I like the idea of fantasy booking you know sometimes where people just be like oh let me wrestle this person because I see something in you and blah 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 CM Punk you know outside of him being you know this legend he is very he's he has a really great you know resume when it comes to his wrestling history when it comes to the indies he basically is a part of the reason why the indies is you know where it is now and him coming back and fighting people you know randomly is okay but at the same time though you know a lot of people feel that something's missing with him like oh well i'm CM punk and i'm gonna fight this person and it's not you know and that's just all there is to it and you're gonna watch it because it's CM punk and that may be true we may be you know excited to watch it because it's CM punk but at the same point in rate with there not being a story attached to it there's something else it's like stories are a part of the reason why people watch what they watch and they talked about this on jobber tears and shout out to them they were talking about how even in sports regular sports um they use storylines like with the nba and the lakers and the celtics was one of is one of the best examples i can think of in recent years when the lakers and the celtics are in the nba finals you know about it because they've had a rivalry for years and whenever they any both of those teams those franchise teams make it to the finals and they face one another there's a story put out there espn does whatever they can all the other sports outlets does whatever they can to tell the story of why they hate each other so much and all of that so stories are a big part as to why people watch things and sometimes when it comes to wrestling you can have not that much of a story and still make it work like Sasha Banks and Bianca I feel like I talk about that match ad nauseum but still um <laughs> it's just the fact that they didn't have so much of a story to work with that much but even with that they were able to make you know um the best out of that situation and that you know lands on it doesn't land squarely on the performers it also lands on the writers room the writers room really does need to you know create more of a story you know involving you know their stars so they can give them something to present on television but it also lies on the performers as well so now we have CM Punk going into a rivalry with um, Eddie Kingston. And Eddie Kingston 
wanted all the smoke with CM Punk <laughs> last night um, and stuff, saying that CM Punk was looking down on him when he first started and he even called him a bum and stuff. And Eddie Kingston told him, look, after I fight you, just stay away for another seven years. Like, dang, like that's something that people can get behind. So here's hoping that AEW really can, you know, figure out more in terms of their stories and stuff you know and figure out you know what works best for them because them having a writer's room may work or it may not work for them who knows but you know you know here, here's hoping that they figure that out but i'm just happy that cm punk um is back and having these amazing matches with people and just able to do what he does best which is perform so there's that also in the news we have Kyle O'Reilly and his NXT contract reportedly expiring next month, according to PWI Insider's Mike Johnson. So um, it was reported by him that his contract is reportedly expiring next month. And um, it was stated, of course, that he signed with NXT in 2017. And he's best known for being a part of the Undisputed Era alongside Adam Cole, Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong. Now, we all know at this point that Adam Cole and Bobby Fish are no longer with um, WWE or NXT because they're on AEW now. And um, Roderick Strong is the current NXT Cruiserweight Champion, while um, Kyle O'Reilly really, he's involved in stuff with NXT, but not in like this heated rivalry with anybody like he once was with Adam Cole. So no one knows um, exactly what Kyle O'Reilly has in store. No one's really, you know, he hasn't said anything on social media involving his contract, but a lot of people are under the impression that, oh, he's gonna leave or he could leave or all this other stuff. Um, if he decides to go, then I wouldn't be mad about it, but I don't know. It's just all crazy. And quite honestly, I just don't, you know, want to just assume that he'll just go to AEW because all his friends are there and stuff like that. But if he decides to do that, and if he decides that that's what's best for him, then he can go right ahead. Or he might decide that he wants to stay with NXT and that might be the best. I don't know. But you know, here's hoping that he... Okay, so also in news and gossipish, I had some technical stuff. Um, <laughs> also in news and gossipish, um, like I was saying, um, Booker T was trash talking Big Poppy David Ortiz um, on games during the pre um, the pregame segment of the World Series in Game Six, and he was getting in his face and talking trash at him. And then he also proceeded to give a pep talk to the Houston Astros, who had made it, of course, to the World Series to face off against my Atlanta Braves. And, um, of course, Booker T is a Hall of Famer. He's from Houston, Texas. So, of course, you know, he was going to big up the Houston Astros or whatever. And... Megan Thee Stallion even did as much too because she did an intro for the Houston Astros during the World Series as well and that was cool to see but but <laughs> if you may or may not know your girl Stephanie is a is an Atlanta Braves fan because uh, my grandmother was an Atlanta Braves fan and my auntie um shout out to you auntie Gwen um is an Atlanta Braves fan as well and so when I was a child and I would stay with my grandma in my grandma's house frequently during baseball season she would watch the Atlanta Braves on TBS um and 
I would sit there with her and watch it and sort of, you know, sort of watch it and sort of watch the way my grandma would respond to all the good things that the Atlanta Braves were doing. Like whenever she would, whenever um, Atlanta was in the outfield, she would always tell them to strike whoever was at bat out, you know, or she would, you know, get happy whenever anybody in on the Atlanta Braves would make a home run or steal bases and stuff like that. She's the reason why I love baseball as a sport, even though a lot of people, including Pat McAfee, get on SmackDown every week and call baseball stupid, whatever, he's a football player, but it's okay. Um, I love football too, but still baseball is not a stupid sport and I just don't think it's boring, but I guess it's because I'm used to watching it. I've been used to watching it for so long. Watching the Atlanta Braves win the World Series, um, win their first World Series since 1995. To put that in perspective for you, I was two years old in 1995. So to get to the age of 28 (laughs) and watch them win the World Series was very beautiful for me. And it was very, you know, personal and emotional for me, considering they had been getting better and better um, as a team since um, 2018, which was ironically the year I lost my grandmother. Um, My grandmother um, was 95 years old when she passed away. Um, And she was also a wrestling fan as well. She loved wrestling, um, loved um, Sting. She also loved Ric Flair. Um, So being, seeing seeing the Atlanta Braves make it to the World Series and win it and then win it on the week of her of what would have been her 99th birthday meant the absolute world to me I was a crying mess I was just all over the place but that's our team you know and just being able to watch that happen just meant a whole lot to me I've already bought clothes (laughs) for world champion stuff um, and everything. And even though I understand there's a lot of controversy involving the Atlanta Braves and stuff with their mascot and the history of Native Americans in this country, I completely understand and sympathize with that. Um, I'm really happy for the team that they were able to pull it together and win. And to tie it back into wrestling, um, WWE, of course, sent the Atlanta Braves their own custom WWE championships with the Atlanta Braves logo on the plates. So they have their belts and this carries on the tradition that they have with honoring and saluting major American sports champions. They recently um, shared their design that was sent to the WNBA Chicago Sky and um, Rashid Wallace, um, I found out, was maybe one of the people who originated the idea because he played for the NBA's Detroit Pistons. And when they beat the Lakers um, in the 2004 NBA Finals, he bought replica championships for each of his teammates. And of course, Atlanta sealed their victory um with a seven with the score going seven to zero over the Houston Astros Tuesday night. And there was a mammoth three-run home run in the third inning hit by Jorge Soler, who who I love very much, and he was named the World Series MVP. So congratulations to my Atlanta Braves for winning the World Series. And um grandma. This one's for you. We, I love you so, so very much. And you're a part of the reason why I am who I am in wrestling and everything else. And I love you so very much. And that's the end of this news and gossipish segment. And now we're going to go to my new segment entitled Wrestling Stars Fell on Alabama, where I honor Sensational Sherry.
Okay, so in this new segment, I'm going to call it Wrestling Stars Fell on Alabama. So earlier this week, um, with my with um, something that I had to do for Women's Wrestling Talk, um, was do a top five moments um, live stream show where I talked about the top five moments in someone's career based off of an article written by Chris Rigby, who is a contributor to Women's Wrestling Talk um, dot com, Women's Wrestling Talk's website, www.talkpod.com. Um, he wrote an article about Sensational Sherry and her top five moments. So I did that. Um, it's on YouTube on Women's Wrestling Talk's YouTube channel. Please go back and watch it if you haven't already. It was really great to do and I was really honored to do it. So in light of that, I was thinking about um, how there are so many wrestlers, you know, from the Alabama area that a lot of people might not know. So I or, you know may not have really known that they're from Alabama or have roots in Alabama so I decided to take some time in my show to honor those people so I'm going to honor Sensational Sherry because I thought she was just an amazing place to start with another person to start with um so and I was actually honored to actually cosplay her um when she was Sister Sherry I was Sister Sherry in Harlem Heat at this past Alabama Comic-Con um, even though a lot of people didn't get it, it was still cool to do because I was just really excited. And that was the first time I ever cosplayed as anybody in wrestling, period. So it was great to start with her and then being able to meet Booker T. That was cool, too. So sensational Sherry. Um, she was born Miss Sherry Lynn Russells um, and her last name was Squirrel when she got married. Um, she was born in February on February the 8th, 1958 in Birmingham, Alabama. She was born here just like I was. So that's something cool that we have in common. Um, and her mother, she was raised by a single mother um, and she had a sister and her and her sister was introduced to wrestling when their mother used to take them to wrestling shows in Mississippi. Um, that's something um wrestling is a very big thing here down south um or at least it it once was but we're trying to get it back to that point there are so many wrestling promotions here in the south and um we have some here in alabama as well i'm happy to be a part of one of them the belladonna division so shout out to them and shout out to casey and veronica for starting that here in alabama um for women's wrestling it's just really great so wrestling has always been a big thing in the south we always had um different promotions and um and stuff like that um we were one of the best territories in wrestling so that's cool so um sensational sherry sought training in mississippi in memphis tennessee from butch morin and she continued her training at the school of the in, of now infamous fabulous moolah of course if you may or may not know the fabulous moolah had a lot of different students to come out of her school um in terms of women's wrestling but she also had a lot of controversy tied to that as well so i'm not going to talk about it that much here you can look it up if you want to but yeah um sensational sherry did come out of that wrestling school she began her professional wrestling career in 1985 at awa which is american wrestling association on september the 28th 1985 she made um, her debut at Super Clash in Chicago, Illinois, and she beat Candy Devine for the AWA World's Women's Championship, which she wound up winning in AWA three times. And she also served as the manager 
for the tag team of Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Summers. And they also, and while serving as their manager, they became AWA tag team champions under her tenure. So that was really cool to figure out the fact that she was managing and she was the, the AWA World's Women's Champion as well. Three times. So that's cool. So after being referred to referred by Jesse Ventura, um, Sherry um, took her talents to the WWF where she um, debuted on July the 24th, 1987 in a match against her former teacher, the fabulous Moolah and beating her for the WWF women's title, um, her debut. So that's a pretty cool thing to do. And at the time she was also holding the AWA women's title. So that basically made her Sherry two belts, which basically paved the way for people like Paige, um, who was the NXT women's champion and the Divas champion as well, when she um, got called up to the main roster. And um, Becky Lynch, of course, with her two belts thing going on when she won, won the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships at WrestleMania in the first women's main event against Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. And she also opened the doors for people like Gail Kim, who won the WWE Women's title um, at her debut in a battle royal. So she was just knocking down doors for so many people and probably had no clue. So big ups to Sensational Sherry for that, for becoming Sherry Two Belts. Um, she held the WWF Women's title for 440 days until she lost it to Rockin' Robin. Um, but then a little bit after that in 1990, WWF's women's division would later dissolve, but Sensational Sherry chose to stay with the company and turned her focus to managing male wrestlers, which was where a lot of people, you know, in wrestling history or a lot of wrestling fans know her from in terms of her managerial work. So after WrestleMania 5, she began a feud with uh, Miss Elizabeth um, and she became the replacement manager for Macho Man Randy Savage, who became Macho King during her tenure. So she was known as Queen Sherry. So around this time, she also memorably gave an incredible performance at WrestleMania 7. Um, I say it was the performance of her lifetime as um, Queen Sherry when she tried to assist Macho King Randy Savage in his career threatening match against the Ultimate Warrior to no success. If you go back and watch the match on Peacock or the WWE Network or however it is you watch your um, old wrestling clips or even on YouTube because you know bootleggers are awesome um <laughs> they <laughs> she was basically doing everything that you would think a manager would do um strategy wise and even physically to try to get inside of the head of the ultimate warrior like looking back on the build-up to this match at, at um wrestlemania 7 she was always messing with the ultimate warrior distracting him getting in his head and all that other stuff on behalf of randy savage and so with their careers on the line she was pulling out all the stops like she was slapping the ultimate warrior she was jumping on the top rope off of the top turnbuckle trying to jump on the ultimate warrior but then wound up jumping on randy savage like she was doing everything physically possible to try to get randy savage to win and it but sadly it didn't work <laughs> and queen sherry was mad about this so after doing everything she possibly could to try to get randy to win and randy wound up losing um she turned on randy savage and started beating him up um 
kicking on him and stuff like that but then what a lot of people what she did not know was that miss elizabeth was in the audience watching this match take place because her and randy savage were in love with each other you know they were married and stuff like that but she couldn't stand the fact that she was treating him this way because she still loved him so she left her seat you know this is a memorable um part of wrestling history she left her seat couldn't stand it anymore got up there in that and in that ring and snatched sherry off of him you know just tearing sherry off of him beating her up threw her out of the ring um and reunited with randy savage they hugged each other and she was like i love you randy and all this other stuff and they reunited and he lifted her on his shoulders and stuff and realized that she was the one who loved him regardless of you know what type of success or failures that he may have had in his career even though of course his career really didn't end after this match you know this was just a memorable um part of wrestling history that a lot of people never forgot and i know when i was re-watching it myself i was getting kind of choked up too even in even if you may or may not know how their story ended you know in real life it was just the principle of watching this on tv and then making us feel all of these emotions it was just really crazy so and a lot of this would not have happened if it was not for sensational sherry's um contributions to the story so it was really great so after this <laughs> sherry in the same um pay-per-view at the same wrestlemania she assisted the million dollar man man ted dibiase in his assault on rowdy roddy piper and she managed ted dibiase until 1992 so and also you know their relationship was was really good so he went on to induct sensational sherry into the hall of fame in 2006 and that speech was very memorable i also recommend going back and watching that um in February of 1992, she began to manage Shawn Michaels, who had just turned on his Midnight Rockers partner, um, Marty Jannetty, um, of course, while by crashing him through um, the barber's window and stuff like that. And he decided to strike out on his own and be his own wrestler, of course. And then he became the sexy boy. <laughs> so she stated in a promo that she was in love with Shawn Michaels. And so she would carry mirrors to the ring for him to look at himself he was just being this arrogant pretty boy dude you know and she and she would even feed him grapes and stuff like and of course she would always assist him in his matches or whatever and they would always come out in matching outfits which is of course you know couple behavior when you go out in public oh let's match colors and match outfits and stuff that's what sensational sherry and Shawn michaels were doing and she even sang the first iteration of his iconic sexy boy theme song a lot of people don't know this because of course in later years you hear Shawn michaels theme song you know and you hear his voice right but she was the first person to sing it and it just sounds like you know a very you know libidinous woman you know talking about how cute her boyfriend is and you know how he makes me feel all these things and oh he's so cute he's so sexy and ah you know it's just like that you know you know how we girls can get sometimes men too but you know they don't talk about it but either way <laughs> it was just really cute like she was a part of the reason why his sexy boy gimmick you know worked as well as it did you know in the 90s so that was really cool and so after being aligned with Tatanka for a short period of time she was released from the WWF um in the summer 
Um, and then she also proceeded to continue to work in wrestling. She worked for the USWA, Smoking Ma Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and ECW before ultimately signing with WCW in 1994. So this was around the time, this is my decade, the 90s was the decade I was born. So um, <laughs> shout out to 90s babies. So um, she made her debut on WCW Saturday night under the name Sensuous Sherry. And she aligned herself with Sting, even painting herself, you know, with his makeup. But then she double crossed him to aid Ric Flair. And she was his manager for a short period of time. And then she went on to successfully manage Harlem Heat. That's the tag team with Booker T and Stevie Ray, of course, his real life brother. Um, and she managed them to win seven WCW World Tag Team titles. And she was known as Sister Sherry at the time. And in her Hall of Fame speech, she talked about how much she enjoyed um, being a manager for them and stuff like that. And that was really nice to hear. And she also made and she also made a return to ECW um, managing Shane Douglas and Brian Pillman again in a match against Ron Simmons and two cold Scorpio as well. And she continued to manage Harlem heat until she got fired from the group on the jet on the July 7th, 1997 episode of Monday night nitro. So after she left WCW, um, um, around 1997, she won the IWA Mid-South Women's title by beating Debbie Combs. Um, and then in 1999, she competed in a mixed tag match for the Apocalypse um, Wrestling Federation's heavyweight title, uh, much to no success. And then she also won the AWA Superstars Women's Championship by defeating Miss Manners. And then in 2000, she returned to WCW at the sold out 2000 pay-per-view. And then she lost a couple of matches to Medusa and Mona. And in um, January, on January 29, 2005, um, she wrestled her last match at Wrestle Reunion, teaming with Peggy Lee Leather, Amber O'Neill, and Chrissy Vane. And in 2005, she returned to WWE to participate in the Kurt Angle Shawn Michaels feud leading up to WrestleMania 21, which is one of my personal favorite WrestleManias. Um, this is the one they had in Hollywood where at the Staples Center where they were all doing, you know, famous movie trailers. That is like one of my favorite WrestleManias ever. Um, and she did a she sang a parody of Shawn Michaels' theme song with Kurt Angle to sort of get on Shawn Michaels' nerves. And I thought it was a pretty full circle moment because she basically innovated that theme song and just to come back and be goofy with it was just really funny. So April 2006 was when she was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame with one of the best and most ass kicking Hall of Fame speeches I've ever heard in my life, even though I was a child at the time. And I didn't really, you know, fully grasp, you know, the importance of, you know, who she was back then. Um, I would watch a lot of these old um, clips and old DVDs and stuff with my dad and he would just watch them on Saturdays and he put on the Hall of Fame and I just remember her listening to her speak. She just had so much fire and um, passion and so much, you know, liveliness that only a Southern woman can give you, right? Um, <laughs> and she was just talking about, she was just ribbing a lot of people that she loved working with in the business. Like Pat Patterson, like she made fun of Pat Patterson for actually able, for being able to maintain a relationship longer than she ever was because she had been married you know multiple times at that point um she made fun of rick flair and all the adventures they got into um 
I believe she brought up a incident in Huntsville, I believe, Alabama, which was funny. Um, and then she was talking about her work with Harlem Heat and all of her work with um, the USWA with um, Jerry the King Lawler and stuff. And you can tell it really meant a lot to her to get that honor. So, and she was the second woman to go into the WWE Hall of Fame. I believe the first one was Moolah. Um, so that was just a really cool moment. So um, in her last years, she also worked for TNA, M- TNA Impact and made her last television appearance on September the 21st, 2006 by offering her managerial services to one Bobby Roode. And that was her last television appearance. So after that, um, she was in the news because she passed away on June the 15th, 2007 in McCalla, Alabama, which isn't too far from Birmingham at the very young age of 49 years old. Um, so that was really sad to hear about. Um, but, um, because she passed away so suddenly I feel like because she passed away so suddenly and because her prominence was very was like in the late 80s to early 90s and stuff like that a lot of newer wrestling fans don't know about Sensational Sherry and how a part of her experience as a manager opened the doors for women like um CJ Perry who was formerly known as Lana or for Zelina Vega you know who started off as a wrestler but became a really great manager for Andrade like she really opened the door for a lot of these women and even B-Fab when she was somewhat as a manager slash wrestler you know with WWE even though she got let go um like she opened the doors for a lot of these women who serve as managers and also you know she opened a lot of doors for women's wrestling as well becoming you know a, a multiple time champion in her own right um she was billed from you know how a lot of wrestlers are billed from different cities she was billed from new excuse me new orleans louisiana but she was born and raised here in birmingham alabama and i just wanted to give her her props on my own platform um and i'm going to continue to do that for lots of different wrestlers um who are from alabama as well in the coming weeks of course um so I'll just continue to do that because Alabama has um, wrestling history that deserves to be charted and told here. So and I'll be happy to be the one to do that. So Sensational Sherry, we love you. We miss you. And we just continue to give you your flowers and continue to honor you as one of the pillars of women's wrestling as a whole. So that's all for Wrestling Stars Fell on Alabama. And now we're going to go into the weekly recap. All right, so now we're going to go into the weekly recap for Monday Night Raw. So this is the first Raw of the month of November, right? So we're in a new month. It's almost Thanksgiving, um, and it's start of the holiday season. Let's go. Okay, so Raw started with an amazing match between Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship. Um, this was a very, this had a very controversial finish, of course, but we're going to get into that and I'm going to talk about my feelings about, um, how it went. So they locked up. This match was really good. They locked up and Lynch and Bianca 
Lynch put Bianca in the corner and then they traded some slaps until Bianca chased um, Becky out to the apron and she pulled the champion back in and planted her in with a waist lock. And then Bianca hit a handspring moonsault for a two count. And then Becky rolled out of the ring to regroup and hit a jawbreaker when Bianca tried to bring her back into the match. And then Bianca hit a suplex on the floor to send us to a commercial break. So then we returned um, to see Bianca beginning to build up ahead of steam and she hit a pair of suplexes for a near fall. But then Becky rolled her up for a two count before the um, before Bianca hit a hit an amazing gut buster for another near fall. There are a lot of near falls in this match and I was really ready for it to you know finally come to a head a couple of times but they kept going and kept going and basically taking us for a ride honestly this match could have been a main event but they chose to start to show with it which i wasn't mad about at all so it's okay then becky ducked a shot from the um from the braid um of bianca and almost won with a victory roll but then her and bianca traded pinning combinations back and forth before becky attempted to apply the disarmor but then bianca powered her up and they went crashing over the top rope into the floor and then we came back from commercial break to see um, Becky trying to get Bianca into an arm bar. But Bianca was able to lift her up for a power bomb to break her grip. And then they fought in the corner and Bianca pressed um, Becky above her head for a big slam. Becky then hit the manhandle slam, which is what I call the um, the bootlegged the bootlegged rock bottom but whatever um <laughs> but then bianca was able to get her foot on the rope to break the referee's count and then bianca caught her in a baseball slide and then dropped her onto the announce table and then she hit becky with a glam slam for a two count and then becky managed to rip the padding off of the top turnbuckle and send bianca's head into it and then she rolled her up with a handful of tights for the win now this match was really good but i hated the finish because first of all bianca belair did not win the championship and i'm mad because i was upset about it because i really felt like if their rivalry could have you know come to a head and bianca could have won she would have finally got revenge on becky for making her lose in 26 seconds at um SummerSlam this past august because quite frankly i just really feel like um, the company would be in a better shape and in a better standing if they had let one of their stars of the future win as opposed to just having Becky Lynch being on top because she came back from being pregnant and basically they promised to put her back on top where she once was. Um, and I just feel like that's not fair to Bianca who basically worked to sort of keep the company at an even keel, you know, while... Um, there were so many women, but Bianca was definitely one of those women who kept to keep who helped to keep the women's division at an even kill um, while Becky was gone. And for them to just slap to give um, Becky now two titles, the SmackDown Women's title and now the Raw Women's title and continue to carry it just so she can continue to be on top like she was before she got pregnant just kind of sucks. Um, but the way that it ended upset me, too, because she cheated to beat her and now this is like the second um of the four horsewomen that bianca has faced that's had to resort to cheating in order to beat her and i know that that makes bianca look strong in the sense that these two had to go under you know had to do underhanded ways to try to win and keep their titles but at the same time it's just it's just a little bit painful because bianca was such a star and she rose up to such prominence this year and to sort of watch her 
um now being put on the survivor series team for team raw now um that's a good look for her and it's a good rub for her but i just want her to be champion again because it was just refreshing to see um but you know becky's gonna becky and of course she had to cheat but you know it still makes bianca look strong but at the same time it still upsets me because i just want bianca to be champion again so there's that so yeah so that means that when bianca has another opportunity at the title she can actually get one and actually have you know credence to get one because she because becky and charlotte both had to cheat so there's that also with the women you had nikki um ash and rhea ripley versus carmella and queen Zelina in a non-title match um they had a backstage confrontation in which um queen Zelina was walking by with carmella and um they were talking about masks and Carmela was talking about you know the importance of her mask and how she um uses it to keep people from destroying her you know most beautiful face and all that other stuff and something that I find really funny is just the fact that you always constantly hear Corey Graves talking about how beautiful she is and stuff like that and he's just so in love he just can't deal with it and also congratulations to them on being engaged because that's great um but (laughs) it's just really funny to hear him you know just go on and on about her like that it's just funny but while Carmela was talking to Queen Zelina Queen Zelina was walking by with her um sort of fake British accent her royal accent and told Nikki Ash that she liked her mask or whatever and Nikki told her you know what her mask represented and then after you know Queen Zelina walked away she pulled a Regina George from Mean Girls um and said that's actually the ugliest mask I've ever seen and Rhea Ripley overheard her so that so the tag team champions got in their faces and was like yo that's not cool you know why would you do that and so it it led to them having a match so um Rhea and Nikki challenged them and so as the match started of course Carmella put her own mask on before the referee called for the bell Rhea and Queen Zelina had a bit of a standoff and it was funny because Queen Zelina, as wonderful as she is as an, you know, as an athlete, she's still really short in comparison to Rhea. And just seeing this really small woman, you know, kind of go get up in the face of, you know, Rhea, who's just so imposing and so tall, which is a little bit like, whoa, like, okay. Um, so Ripley overpowered her with a shove, and then Carmella tagged in and then slapped Rhea in the face. And then Rhea fired back with a headbutt and a few strikes. And then some of the other women on the Raw roster were actually watching the match from backstage as Nikki um, tagged in and then managed to keep the upper hand against both opponents. And then she took them out with a crossbody from the apron as we went to a commercial. Then we came back to see Carmella keeping Rhea Ripley grounded in a headlock. And then Rhea stood up with Carmella on her back and then um, Queen Zelina tagged herself in. And then Nikki came in and then beat her all around the ring. And then Carmella broke up a pin with a kick to the face. So Rhea pulled her out of the ring. And then Carmella pushed her into the barricade and hit and helped Queen Zelina hit the code red for the win. And I have really been enjoying seeing Queen Zelina hit the code red because it is a really great move. And um, yeah, I just really enjoy what Queen Zelina is doing with her character. Like it's giving her more of an opportunity to show more of her um personality on screen and i'm just really excited for her and what this means now um now if this leads to them getting another getting an opportunity to for the women's tag team championships and i guess that's fine um yeah i guess that's fine so i mean yeah that'll be okay i guess i really don't have anything 
to say about it being a bad thing I just feel like a lot of the women's tag teams just aren't a thing anymore because of the draft and also because of the recent releases and stuff like that so yeah I just wish that the women's tag team division was just a little bit better but you know it's okay and that's really all that happened with the women on Raw but it was still pretty good so there was that so with the men the first men's match we had was Rey Mysterio versus Austin Theory so Austin Theory um beat Dominic Mysterio last week and he wanted to repeat his success against Rey um Austin um taunted back back him into the corner and then made a clean break to taunt him and then he um knocked Ray right out of the ring with a shoulder tackle but then Ray ran back in and started unloading on him with strikes and then he took Austin Theory down with the head scissors takeover but then Austin um quickly made a comeback and hit a suplex for a two count then Austin took a moment to taunt Dominic before he hit a somersault into a drop kick um, which was really impressive. Then he picked up Rey Mysterio at um, ringside, and then Dominic spun Rey around so he could hit a DDT on the floor as we went to a break. And then we returned to see Austin plant Rey with a gut buster. Um, I never get tired of re- seeing Rey and Dominic work as a team. Like they're just so, they're just so in sync with each other. I just love the father son dynamic. It's just so cute. I love it. Um, I'm just a family person. Um, <laughs> then Ray countered um, a superplex and then tripped Austin into the top turnbuckle. And then he climbed to the top rope for a seated senton, and they ended up taking each other out with back-to-back drop kicks. Then Austin hit Dominic with a drop kick through the ropes. Ray got him in position for the six one nine, but then the referee disqualified Ray after Dominic got angry and slapped Theory in the face. Now. Um, even though this DQ, you know, finish happened to sort of um, feed into to sort of see, you know, Dominic sort of come into his own attitude, um, which is what they've been sort of implying even before the draft and stuff. I am I'm actually OK with seeing Dominic show more of his own personality outside of being, you know, the son of Rey Mysterio and having more aggression. Um, but I don't like him and Rey breaking up because I just don't like fighting amongst families like I just don't like that it just makes me sad um but at the same time I can kind of see what they're doing because Dominic has shown that he is more than ready you know to be to possibly be out on his own and step out of the shadow of his father so um I'm okay with that and just the fact just to watch Rey Mysterio have this type of match with somebody you know it's just really great like Rey is just really one of the goats out here and we should continue to give him his flowers while he's here so we love Rey Mysterio so yeah then we had Finn Balor versus um Chad Gable Otis you know of course who is what I'm calling sad Otis because he's not happy Otis anymore like I miss happy Otis like y'all remember like last year in the beginning of last year when he was with Mandy Rose and he was in love with her and they got together and stuff (sighs) Jesus Jesus those were such great times (laughs) anyway Otis accompanied Chad Gable to the ring for his match against Finn Balor um and then I believe that backstage they were trying to get and throw mad shade at Big E and stuff like that but you can't shade the WWE champion and make it seem like oh he's not worthy of being the face of Raw just because he's so silly and goofy or whatever he's the champion respect him as such but whatever um Chad and Finn Balor had a really great match they started off with a basic lockup and then traded holds um and takedowns as they put their technical skills on display Chad hit the first strike with a chop to the throat but then Balor nailed him with a drop kick a few seconds later 
Then Chad took him down by the leg and started focusing all of his offense on the limb. Then um, Finn hit a standing double stomp followed by a sling blade, which is one of my favorites. Um, and then Chad avoided a running drop kick and put him in an ankle lock. Um, and then Valor somehow managed to counter into an arm bar, but then Chad turned it right back into an ankle lock. Um, then Finn countered out of it and hit another double stomp. Then Chad hit nor- hit a Northern Lights and a German suplex for a two count. He then went for a moonsault, but then Finn got his knees up to block it. And he sent Chad into the corner with a drop kick, but was slow to get to the top rope for the coup de gras. Then Chad joined him on the top rope and hit a superplex. And then Finn turned it into a cradle when he landed to steal the win there. So Chad Gable is a really great wrestler. He's a great technical wrestler. And I feel like with the weird characters that they give him at times, it's sort of it's hard to to fully remember that. And I just feel like he should be given more credit um, in terms of his in-ring work. Like he's a really great technical wrestler. Um, and the fact that Otis actually didn't get involved in it was actually pretty you know different too because you know normally when somebody's out there you know and they're partnered up with a person they get involved but Otis didn't get involved this time so that was pretty okay so this match was really good then we had the Street Profits versus Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode aka the Dirty Dogs but I'm gonna keep calling him Bobby Roode so it's whatever um Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode had a quick backstage run-in with Matt Riddle and stuff before they came out to the ring to face the street to face the street profits and they actually had the audacity to say that they wanted the smoke and i was like if you don't get that weak that weak like if you don't get that weak mayonnaise flavored smoke out of here <laughs> goodbye so either way that was whatever and then um matt riddle and randy orton the tag team champions came to watch from ringside um Bobby Roode and Montez Ford started for their teams with a basic exchange while the crowd chanted for Randy Orton which kind of made me feel a little bit awkward because I'm just like you have these tag teams trying to put on a good show and then they're just chanting for Randy who's on commentary or whatever but you know people can't help it they love Randy Orton if you love Randy you love Randy I get it you know he's cool he's an icon at this point so yeah um Montez slammed Bobby and mocked his selling before tagging in Angelo for a double team move to score a near fall. And then um, the Dirty Dogs took control for a moment, but then Angelo was able to get the upper hand. And then we went to a commercial break with the Street Profits having a little stare down with RK Bro. They really want those Raw Tag Team titles back. Um, Then Bobby was in firm control when we came back and then he and Dolph Ziggler cut off Angelo from his teammate by keeping him in their corner. And then Montez finally got the hot tag and came in with a huge crossbody from the top rope. Then he hit a series of moves and then Dolph had to interfere to break up a pin. And then Dolph tagged in and then Bobby Roode sent Ford right into the right into his arms for a brutal DDT. Then the Dirty Dogs took out Angelo at ringside before Montez Ford jumped right over the ring post, as he loves to do, to take out both men. If it's one thing that Montez Ford is going to do, he is going to fly. He's going to fly and he's going to let you know that he can fly. He is a man with wings and he's never going to let that go. Then Omos came out to the ring to start some mess. And then a distraction allowed Dolph Ziggler to steal the win for the Dirty Dogs team. So there's that but i feel like there are only there's like so many people gunning for the raw tag team champions 
now it's like you have aj and omas and then you have the street profits and then you have um the dirty dogs now but i guess that's really how it should be with the tag team division you know that's really how it should be but if they can book the men's tag team divisions that way why can't they do that for the women so yeah but you know that's cool then we had Damian Priest versus T-Bar in a no DQ match because um, last week they had a match and it was pretty good too. A lot of people said it was a banger. So here they are with a no DQ. So um, they locked up. And also let me just say that I really wish they would let T-Bar be Dominic Dijakovic like he once was. Um, but WWE doesn't care about our feelings as my um, fearless leader TK Trinidad loves to say. WWE doesn't care about our feelings they're gonna do what they want to do so yeah but he's not bad as t-bar either so i mean it's whatever we just know it's you dominic but it's okay um (laughs) um so they locked up and immediately started brawling then priest clotheslined t-bar out of the ring and then followed him to keep the fight going he whipped the former member of retribution into the barricade before he brought a a table into the ring much to the happiness of everybody because we love the tables then t-bar took the table and then set it up in ringside before priest took him down with a senton from the steps then t-bar beat him down and tried to powerbomb him through the table um damian priest avoided it but then he ended up getting shoved into the steps then damian priest nailed him with a kick to the face and then t-bar responded with his own boot and then he then picked up Priest and hit a Samoan drop from the middle rope to send us into a commercial break. Then when we came back, T-Bar still had some control um, control of the match, but then Damien started to show some signs of life. He hit a flurry of strikes and a broken arrow for a two count. Then T-Bar grabbed him by the neck for a choke slam neck breaker to get a near fall. Then he tied up Damien in the ropes and then got a, a few weapons from the ring and then he proceeded to beat the crap out of Damien with a kendo sticks and you can see the marks on the front of his body and everything and here is reason number 545 as to why wrestling isn't fake stop it but (laughs) wrestling ain't fake guys stop it I get sick of y'all saying that wrestling's not fake so you get all of these welts on your body even though it is a weapon it's not fake so shut up anyway um then t-bar grabbed him by his neck um well actually no that's not um my notes okay and then um damian priest managed to break free and then hit a clothesline and then he picked up a chair and went on a rampage um this is where the damian side of himself started to come out um with shots to the back of the body to the back and the body and then he grabbed t-bar and choke slammed him through the table from the apron and then damian grabbed his opponent and hit his finisher to secure the win this was one of the best matches that damian priest has ever had and i'm really glad that he is tapping into this new character of his um to sort of go back and forth and sort of play the difference with his names here it's like damien of course when you think of damien it sort of makes you think of demon so it's just like he's being rah you know evil but then you have priest and when you think of the word priest you think of you know holy and righteous and nice and sweet and stuff like that so it's like he's being nice and sweet but then when you piss him off he becomes damien and i actually like that and i do kind of miss his old theme song too but his new theme song really isn't that bad either so it's okay so after he got the win apollo cruz came out with commander aziz to sort of put himself back in the hunt for the title with the promo 
and I don't know if I'm tripping here, but it sounded like he was having a little bit of trouble with his Nigerian accent um, here, but maybe I'm just tripping or whatever, but it sounded like he was struggling a little bit. But as much as I understand that he wanted to go for the U.S. title, which is a title he's held before, a part of me just can't help but feel like I want Apollo Crews to strive for something else outside of a mid-card title. Like, even though I know that Big E and him had a rivalry for the IC championship over on SmackDown and we saw them fought, fight ad nauseum, I just want, like, I just want him to strive for something greater. Like, if you're good enough, strive for more. Like, that's what I wanted. Like, if he's going to go for the WWE Championship and get at Big E for it, then I wouldn't mind that because at least that would still be something new. We've seen Apollo Crews, you know, have um, these mid-card titles, the IC title and the US title before. So I almost want Apollo Crews to just aim higher at this point. Just aim higher for me, please. Um, but whatever. Um, it's okay. So um, then to end Raw, we had a match between Big E and and kevin owens so seth rollins came out in one of his ratchet suits because of course he's the joker of our time to give a promo and he spoke about defeating um ray mysterio finn balor and kevin owens in that ladder match for to to earn a shot at the wwe championship for that contract that he's carrying around which is what i'm going to now call money in the bank jr because that's all i it reminds me of it's like i'm gonna have a shot at this title blah 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 it's just money in the bank junior that's all it is so (laughs) um then biggie came out to respond and called out seth rollins for refusing his handshake last week after he won the opportunity so seth mocked the new day's accomplishment until biggie got angry like this made me mad too because what you ain't finna do is sit up here and insult the New Day's accomplishments. Insult Xavier working to finally be King of the Ring. And then furthermore, on a very personal level, insult Kofi Mania as if it doesn't matter. And as if yours, your moment at WrestleMania when you cash in Money in the Bank in the heist of the century, as Michael Cole called it, you know, was better than Kofi Mania. No, baby. It just wasn't better. It was not better at all. Um, both of those moments were very major, of course, but at the end of the day at least when Kofi Kingston won he earned his opportunity and he didn't cash in on anybody and he didn't you know have to take advantage to somebody to two people who were already beaten Roman Reigns was already beaten in that match and so was Brock Lesnar and that's what you did Seth Rollins you cashed in on them and yeah you cashed in and that was fair but at the same time you're not going to sit here and make it seem like Kofi Mania wasn't one of the best Wrestlemania moments in the past 10 years like you're not going to do that you're not going to insult Kofi Kingston and all that other stuff and yeah you can think about how you lost and all that but Kofi Mania still means the world and that was the catalyst for how we've been able to have so many black champions at this point and it's the catalyst for the success of Big E at this point and also for Xavier Woods so you are not going to sit here and insult Kofi Kingston respect him and you're not going to insult Big E either and Big E was not going to have it also I love that in this promo Big E brought up his um his Montessarian um auntie because in his interview with the Breakfast Club um he was actually bonding with Angela Yee over um having Montessarian family there because he's half Montessarian and half Jamaican too. So I thought it was cool how he brought that up and it was just nice to see. Also shout out to Angela Yee on the Breakfast Club because she actually knows who Seth Rollins is and she has a bootio shirt. So yeah, congratulations. I love you. Um <laughs> I thought that was cool. 
so there's that and it pissed him off so Big E was like um he suggested they have the title match um that night but then Seth Rollins didn't like that idea he was like look I'm not 100% after the ladder match and you're gonna have this match on my terms and all this other stuff but you're just you just have money in the bank junior in comparison to the money in the bank contract that Biggie actually won and actually called his shot and won the title with. So sit down. But either way, um, Kevin Owens joined them um, from the stage and proceeded to insult um, Seth Rollins. And then he challenged Biggie to a match for tonight. And then Big E um, accepted the challenge. So the bout wound up going on as the main event. Um, they began the match with some simple headlocks before Kevin Owens drilled Biggie with a back elbow to the face. Um, and then Biggie almost hit his finisher, but then Kevin Owens turned it into a reverse DDT for a two count. Um, he hit a drop kick from the middle rope before Biggie grabbed him for a trio of belly to belly suplexes. Then Kevin Owens countered the third and avoided a splash on the apron. And then he took Big E down with a senton from the apron as Seth Rollins came out to get an up-close view of the action because he's just a devilish villain. Then uh, we return from commercial break to see Kevin Owens and Big E trading big shots to the face. And this match was really good. And then they also made notice of the fact that Kevin Owens and Big E had never fought in a singles match. They never did. And I thought it was a full circle moment how um, Kevin Owens had once upon a time tried to join the New Day when Big E was injured and they wound up stabbing them in the back. Um, and then now it's full circle now and Big E has beef with Kevin Owens. So that was cool how um, Twitter brought that up. So then Kevin Owens rolled out of the way with of a running splash and then hit a cannonball in the corner. And then Big E barely kicked out of um, after a huge senton bomb from Kevin Owens. Then Seth Rollins hit Big E with a cheap shot while the referee had his back turned. And then um, Kevin Owens tried to capitalize on that by making the cover. But then Big E, being the smart champion that he is, reversed the cover into a crucifix cover for the win. A crucifix pin for the win. Then Big E accused Kevin Owens of being in cahoots with Rollins. And then Kevin Owens grabbed the mic and refuted the claims and apologized multiple times. I mean, he said that this was all Seth Rollins' fault. Um, and even though, but my thing is, is though, it's like, Kevin, even though Seth Rollins did try to hit, you know, did hit Biggie, you didn't have to capitalize on it. So just admit that you are dark and you can't keep no friends, Kevin. Kevin always can't keep no friends. We know this. This is his history. He can't keep no friends. So, I mean, you stab Chris Jericho in the back. You stab Sami Zayn in the back. You just can't keep no friends. So, um... He had kept apologizing to him over and over again. And then Kevin challenged Seth Rollins to a match next week. But then Big E took him out with a big ending anyway. So that's how Raw ended. And it was still pretty good. So now I'm wondering now if Big E is going to be beefing with Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens <laughs> at this stage. Um, but with the way the SmackDown went, of course, we have survivors on the horizon and... I'm going to need for the New Day to reunite somehow and fight the bloodline. But I'm going to talk about that in the SmackDown segment. So that's all for the recap of Raw. The Raw recap. The Raw rebound. That's pretty old school. But yeah, um, that's it for the weekly recap of Raw. And now I'm going to recap Impact Wrestling. All right, so now I'm going to talk about and recap 
impact wrestling i'm so proud to be doing this again um because sometimes uh, i i be really wanting to watch impact more often but the thing is it comes on opposite another show that i watch i watch Grey's anatomy and it comes on opposite that um and then and then it's like normally i know i'd recap nxt 2.0 but seeing as this game six of the world series came on tuesday night and the braves won i was really trying to see that through so i apologize for this little change but i'm talking about impact wrestling <laughs> because um i just really wanted to support it a whole lot more since i went to nwa weekend in st louis and how so many people from nwa actually you know makes up like do do and make many appearances on impact wrestling as well so this is me recapping impact and hopefully this can happen a little bit more often so yeah in terms of the knockouts division um the women in impact we had a, cha- a knockouts championship match between Mickey James, who is the new knockouts champion after after defeating Deanna Perazzo, who had held the title for so very long. Um, and she was fighting Madison Rain, who is an icon and a legend at this point in the Impact um, Knockouts division. And she was challenging her. So Madison Rain had been knockouts champion six times so they were fighting each other and she wanted to have another opportunity um but then she also came out there with um caleb with a k who is one of the influencers or whatever but he was out there with like a cast and or neck brace and he was out there to try to like be the x factor in that match and try to cheat to no avail but it's okay so after enduring early frustration you know at the hands of mickey james madison benefited from the outside um interference of caleb with the k and then seized control of the match and then after several moments of domination uh, madison sent mickey james to the floor where she dodged a slap from caleb and then sent him into the ring steps much to my happiness because caleb was getting on my dag- daggone nerves like you need to chill out um but then back inside of the ring mickey delivered a thez press from the top rope um to get the win here and she was able to retain the knockouts um championship so as she was celebrating her win with her hardcore country song um (laughs) mercedes martinez um headed to the ring and gave respect to mickey james and said that she you know deeply respected her and her drive and her um and everything that she's done in the world of women's wrestling but she said that she was ready to challenge Mickey James for the knockouts title at um, Turning Point, which is the next pay-per-view that they have coming up in a couple of weeks. So I was really happy to see this from Mercedes Martinez, considering now she's on Impact. And since she won the tournament that they had for at Knockouts Knockdown, which was a heck of, of, of an all-female pay-per-view that they put out for the Knockouts division. I definitely recommend you go back and watch it on Impact Plus. Um, but yeah, it was really good, and I was really happy to see um, Mercedes Martinez challenge Mickey. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, even though that was the only women's match that they had, I believe, that night, they also had a lot of appearances from the Knockouts tag team um, champions, The Inspiration, who's formerly known as... Um, the iconics in wwe this is jesse um this is jessica mckay um and oh my god <laughs> like i hate that her name just blanks me i know it's peyton royce and billy Kay. that's what their names used to be in wwe um oh my gosh but just the inspiration were backstage dealing with 
um, being challenged by decay. Um, but then they also found the, um, found the dead bridesmaids to sort of challenge them for a match, you know, on their behalf next week on, um, impact. So yeah, that happened, but they were really scared. They were backstage and led into a trap where they saw ghosts and, (laughs) and they were just like, Oh my God, I see a ghost. But then one of them was like, ghosts aren't real and all this other stuff. So they were just arguing with each other back and forth, but it was really good to see the inspiration, you know, back on tv and being as silly as they love to be so that was really good to see um for me and it was also more of a um it was also you know a really good thing to see these women like them and like mercedes martinez and mickey james you know sort of find their way in wrestling yet again and be successful um in the sense that they're you know outside of wwe and still you know doing the dang thing so I'm very proud of them and I'm just happy for them and wish them nothing but greater, greater, greater success. So, um, um, with the men impact wrestling started with the X division, number one contenders match between Rohit Raju, um, Steve Macklin, Laredo kid and black Taurus. So, um, Trey Miguel is the X division champion. And if you may or may not know who he is, he used to be in a group with MSK, who's now in NXT. Um, but um, they broke them up. Um, I believe Triple H signed MSK and didn't sign Trey Miguel. So Trey stayed in Impact and became the X Division champion. And now, um, and now these people were fighting to be the contender for it. So um, the former champion, Rohit Raju, was in this match. And when I saw Rohit, I was in the kitchen. I looked in the TV and I was like, good God. He is fine. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, um, there was an energetic start to the match, you know, and it saw all four of these competitors showing off all of their abilities here before Raju down Laredo Kid for a near fall. And then Macklin broke up the pin and then a flurry of rights and lefts between the heels and Sue between each other. And then Black Taurus broke that up and it obliterated Macklin with a Samoan drop. And then after a Tope Suicida to Taurus by Macklin, Kid and Raju exchanged near falls before the former drove his opponent into the mat and scored the pinfall victory so miguel trey miguel appeared after the match and came face to face with laredo kid and they were um shaking hands with each other as a former sportsmanship until um macklin attacked them both but then the baby faces of course fended him off in order to end the segment here so i'm really intrigued to look at this a little bit more um there was so much amazing talent here like i really like their x division and i'm looking forward to looking more at them so this was really good and also looking at more of raju because uh-huh um let me stop i'm sorry um <laughs> that's the thirst portion of this podcast so <laughs> then eric young came out and cut a promo about his return to the ring and what he has in store um and apparently he has his group named violent by design with um with former nxt colors um in yellow and black and white and it was pretty nice and he has a flag and everything but then um there was a guy who came out who i guess is a local competitor from las vegas named jai vidal and he came out and he looked like he was very flamboyant with his hair and with his movements and stuff like that. Like it was really cute. And then he answered an open challenge um, to Eric Young. Um, but then he regretted it and he endured a beatdown that concluded in under 10 minutes with Eric delivering a nasty spike pile driver. So 
this was okay <laughs> and this was what it was supposed to be i'm assuming this was supposed to be an open challenge squash um it's good to see eric young again so this was good then we had the good brothers who are the impact tag team champions against finn juice and when i saw finn juice i swear like they had so many bright colors on and everything like i low-key want to see a match between them and um turbo floyd <laughs> and his partner um the outrunners like i want a tag team match between the outrunners and finn juice so i can see all the bright colors in that one match because that would just be killer shout out to turbo floyd too because he was a guest on my show a couple of weeks ago and his lovely um wrestler girlfriend jaylee too um yeah i'm wishing them great things so um after the backstage um supernatural hijinks involving decay um and the inspiration um in the impact zone the rivalry between the good brothers and finn juice you know started their chapter and everything the heels worked over juice robinson cutting him off from his partner for a good portion of the bout and then a jawbreaker from robinson um two dot gallows created separation and allowed him to tag in david finley who exploded into the match and then the second generation star downed Carl Anderson. Then the heels broke up and attempted Doomsday Device. And then with all four men down, Bullet Club's Hikuleo, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm, I apologize if I didn't. Um, El Fantasmo and Chris Bay, who is also a, another hot guy, um, hit the ring and delivered a series of low blows to the competitors, drawing a no contest. So that was an interesting way um, to end that match. But then after the match, um, the finish basically set up a match between Finn Juice and the Bullet Club for the right to challenge for the Impact Tag Titles as Impact President Scott Damore um, told them after the break. Well, he's not the president. He's the EVP. Sorry. And he has to and he guaranteed a winner, making sure that it was a higher stakes bout. Now, like I said, this was interesting to me because, like I said, I've rarely watched Impact. But when I did watch, I was still entertained by it. And shout out to Chris Bay being a part of bullet club now and actually hearing the bullet club theme song because i hadn't heard it in so long and i want chris bay on my show like i tried to email him a couple times and i really would love him on my show but it was this was really interesting so i thought it was cool so then we had madman fulton versus chris saban i mean madman fulton came out with ace austin and ace austin um last week you know benefited from interference from madman fulton to defeat chris saban and he came out wearing an i beat chris saban t-shirt um and then he was antagonizing the interviewer backstage i forgot her name but she sold it so well um when when he asked her what does this shirt say and then she said i beat chris saban and he was like no you didn't i beat chris saban <laughs> and i was just like god dang um they just be bullying the mess out of these <laughs> out of these backstage interviewers like give them respect guys they're just doing their job um so then ace austin watched from ringside as fulton battle saving and basically um madman fulton dominated in the action and was overwhelming chris saving with his size and strength advantage but then saving you know who was um persevering you know he was persevering through this by slipping out of um his opponent's grasp and then tried for a tornado ddt but then since fulton was too strong for them save encounter into a small package for the pinfall victory so it was a very strategic win there um 
when you can't beat a bigger opponent with your regular offense you find another way to win which was you know a quick way so that was pretty cool so there's that and then we had our main event which in which was a six-man tag team match between Minoru Suzuki Moose the Impact World Champion and um and W. Morrissey, who was formerly known as Big Cass in WWE, who I'm really glad to see doing okay because he, you know, that he was going through some health struggles at first, but now he's back and he looks like he's healthy. So that's good. And they were fighting Josh Alexander, Matt Cardona, um, formerly known as Zack Ryder, and Eddie Edwards in a six man tag match. And Josh Alexander was really angry going into this match because he lost the impact world title after um at bound for glory after he had won it and then after he had won it and stuff like that you know he was celebrating with his wife and his child and then moose came out and then challenged him for a match and he wound up taking the title off of him and now he's the world champion but um of course he's angry about that so now they have a score to settle so the heels and cut cut the ring off isolating matt cardona from his partner and preventing a tag and then a tag to edward was edwards was voided when the referee failed to see it allowing moose um and company to regain control of the bout as they beat down the long island broski then matt cardona um finally tagged in alexander into the match and he took the fight to anyone in his path including morrissey then edwards tagged in and drove morrissey to the mat with a blue thunder bomb only for suzuki to break up the pin um also let me just say i think it's cool how minora suzuki's kind of going everywhere now um he was just at aew now he's on impact so that's great um then um minora suzuki stared down alexander then engaged in an exchange of rattling forearms and then the action broke down with alexander teasing the c4 but then suzuki countered and delivered the gotch pile driver and then morrissey rocked edwards with a big boot and added a power bomb for the win so this was pretty good and then of course moose um was smart enough to be the heel and stay out of the way most of the time um preserving himself in his title reign so this was really good and of course um heading into turning point a lot of these matches seemed really strong so like i said i'm gonna try and watch impact wrestling a little bit more um because i want to be a little bit more invested in wrestling sort of outside of um wwe and outside of aew occasionally so this was a really refreshing watch and then it was also refreshing to watch wrestling outside of WWE in light of thursday's events with the releases and stuff so it was a pretty bright spot um and then something else happened that night that i'm going to tell you guys about near the end of this episode so that was good so now this ends the impact wrestling recap and now i'm going to recap smackdown And finally, we have the weekly recap for SmackDown. Being the first WWE show after a litany of releases has to be hard. It has to be. Because on social media, everybody was just wondering how this show was going to go. If they were even going to watch the show at all. Or if they were just going to boycott them and never watch them again. Like, everybody just was not in it. But I had to see what was going to go on so i got the recap right here so of course we're gonna start with our girls naomi and Shayna baszler was actually the first match that took place um on smackdown so 
there was an interview before the match started that Sonya Deville was having with Kayla Braxton. Shout out to her. Um, in which Sonya was taking credit for reigniting Naomi in the fire that she had supposedly been lacking since for a while. And she said that basically the reason why she's been messing with her is because she's been wanting to reignite the fire that Naomi has so she can actually get better and not continue to just, I guess, in her mind, wallow in mediocrity or whatever. But how can Sonya say this when Naomi has basically been, you know, tenured way longer than Sonya? Like people just get a little bit of power and then they just let her run through their head. But, you know, whatever. So... Naomi fought Shayna Baszler in a rematch. Um, Naomi started really fast, uh, aggressively attacking Shayna Baszler um, in, ter- in searching for a win because every time she had to fight Shayna Baszler, it was always some type of crooked, underhanded thing that Sonya was doing. So um, Shayna downed her opponent heading into the commercial break and then dominated the action throughout. And then when they came back, Naomi fought back into the match, escaping the Karafuda clutch and rolled up Shayna Baszler for the win. And even though there was a little bit of struggling there because Naomi had actually pushed off of the rope or did something with the rope or whatever. Um, she basically got the win, but then Sonya Deville came out being Miss Party Pooper Pants. Oh, I forgot. Sonya DeKaren came out and started being Miss Party Pooper Pants. She came out and announced that since Naomi grabbed the rope, it shouldn't have constituted a break. So the pin, so she said the pinfall didn't count. So she ordered the referee to restart the match. And then Shayna Baszler quickly applied to Kira Fuda Clutch for the submission win. And this continues to make us angry. Even though it's a good example of long-term storylines, which a lot of people say that we should be more of a proponent of as opposed to just getting the quick fix to what we like and all this other stuff and what we want. It's just... I'm just waiting on Naomi to finally get the opportunity to fight her. But it almost feels like it seems hopeless. It's like for every, you know, up that Naomi gets, it's like Sonya Deville is just always trying to smack her down. And it's just like, oh, no pun intended. I said smack her down on SmackDown. (laughs) No pun intended. But seriously, like it's just hurting me more and more. And I just really want for Naomi to just get buck on um, Sonya and not worry so much about Shayna. And it just seems like more and more that Shayna Baszler is just getting more favoritism from the way that Naomi is being treated because Naomi's not even on Team Survivor Series because, of course, today, on this um, at the time of this recording being released, they released who's going to be on Team SmackDown for Survivor Series, and Shayna's one of them. Sasha Banks is the captain, I believe. Shayna's on the team. Um, Aaliyah is on the team. Shotzi is on the team, who is feuding with the captain and i believe natalia is even on the team which i find really strange because we haven't even seen natalia on tv since the draft even took place like it's been a while since we've seen natalia on tv so the fact that naomi's not even on team smackdown is, is gonna even give more give her more of a motivation to kick sonya's ass and i can't wait for that to happen um so yeah it's just it's just a lot And also involving the women, you had Shotzi speaking out on why she attacked Sasha Banks the way she did after she lost her match against Charlotte Flair, um, which could have won her a future title opportunity. So Megan Morant, shout out to her, um, caught up with Shotzi, you know, after her beatdown. And then Shotzi basically said that um, she was tired of being the smiley girl um, that everybody, you know, likes or whatever. But she... um, claimed that she had lost her fans 
and she was angry about the title shots that she had lost considering basically speaking back to the fact that her and Tegan as a tag team should have gotten an opportunity at the women's tag team titles but then it didn't happen and they and other people wound up skipping skipping them in line in order to get it and then she lost her tag team partner due to the draft because Tegan is on raw now so it was just so she was just talking about how um she has a lot to be angry about also in terms of her loss to charlotte flair that she believes was caused by sasha banks which is kind of true she did kind of cause it um and she said that she was going to run over anybody in her path and that she won't need a tank to do it and this was a really really solid promo from her like i'm looking forward to seeing you know everything more that she has because i've just always loved her i love her wrestling style and i just love her you know her style you know her fashion choices and all this other stuff i just love shotzi she's beautiful too um she's a beautiful um tattooed woman and i just can't wait to see more of what she has to offer in this heel role because i don't think i've ever seen i've never seen her as a heel so i can't wait to see what else she has to offer and i can't wait to see her and sasha banks finally tie up i'm wondering if she and sasha banks can even coexist on team smackdown for survivor series but hey you just gotta wait and see but i'm really excited for shotzi and this opportunity she's got um, and that's really all that happened with the women on SmackDown, but it was still really good. So I'm not mad about that. I w- I'm not mad about that at all. So along with that, the show started with Roman Reigns, you know, coming back and he came out to the ring and did his whole entrance with um, the tag- SmackDown tag team champions, the Usos and um, special counsel Paul Heyman. Um, even though he might not be the special counsel for that much longer. Now, Reigns admitted that last week the reason why he wasn't on SmackDown was because he, after smashing Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel, um, he took a break and he took a vacation and he said he was walking around naked and his wife loved it. And I'm just like, yeah, that wife of yours is really lucky. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you walking around naked is the reason why you have about 10 different children. <laughs> 10, 10 lem, fit lem kids. So yeah um and then he threw mad shade at the town they're at which was evansville indiana and called them tiny little no-name town acknowledge me and i was just like that's so terrible you could at least memorize their name hopefully if smackdown ever comes back to birmingham he better say birmingham's name or we're gonna have to fight um so yeah so reigns recapped the last week saying that everybody basically had a bad week because he wasn't there even though the show smack even though smackdown was a pretty solid show without him um and then he implored paul Heyman to tell him what else happened last week referring to the usos losing to the new day in the main event even though paul Heyman took it upon himself to first talk about how Kayla Braxton was getting in his face and he proceeded to say Brock Lesnar's name over and over again as if he was still Brock Lesnar's client or at least or at least as if Brock Lesnar was still his client but uh Roman didn't want to talk about that and I thought that was real awkward but hey whatever so after finding out that Jimmy Uso was the one who was responsible for them losing um to the New Day Roman asked, you know, Jimmy what he was going to do about it. And then Jimmy vowed to make the New Day acknowledge the tribal chief. And then the New Day, um, that's King Xavier Woods and Sir Kofi Kingston interrupted the promo. And then the King mocked Roman Reigns' head of the table nickname and then the Island of Relevancy before issuing a challenge for later that night. 
he said if King Woods were to lose to Jimmy James or whatever other name they called him, um, he would acknowledge Reigns. And if King Woods were to win, the bloodline had to bend their knee to the king. And then Reigns accepted the challenge on behalf of Jimmy Uso. So this was pretty fun and I'm not really mad about it. And the fact that King Woods actually basically said that the head of the table um, was basically like a nonsense name, which is kind of really was really funny, but you know, it was okay. And you can never really go wrong with those two. You can't go wrong with King Woods and you can't go wrong with um, Sir Kofi. Plus not to mention, Xavier has his own theme song now and it's really great. And I'm wondering, you know, who performed it? Like if it was a rapper or if, if, or if it was Wale or maybe West Side Gun or somebody like, I don't know, but it was really good. So um, then after Shotzi's beautiful promo with her gorgeous face, um, Cesaro... And Mansoor faced off Los Lotharios, who is the tag team of Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo, who are real life cousins. So um, they've had a um, promo backstage talking about, you know, being cute and all this other stuff, which they are. But, you know, and I think this is my first time hearing Humberto Carrillo like speak um, outside of speak English, you know, outside of Spanish and that was really you know interesting because i had never heard him do that before so it was cool um so the heels worked over monsoon um for the majority of the match between a tag to cesaro um popped up the crowd and then ignited a baby face comeback then cesaro ran over Carrillo, um rushed around ringside and then stunned garza with a running uppercut and then a springboard corkscrew uppercut followed as Cesaro fueled the babyface onslaught. And then a miscommunication spot saw Cesaro bump heads with Mansoor, which gave Los Lotharios um, the pinfall victory. So this match was pretty fun. Um, it was really great. And anytime Cesaro is in a match, you know he's going to give his 100% in everything that he does. Um, so yeah, that was really good. Um I wouldn't mind seeing if they fought again. So that would be cool. Then Drew McIntyre did his weekly open challenge. Um, and Ricochet answered. And so Ricochet was showing a whole lot of confidence that we hadn't necessarily seen from him. And then he um, basically did a promo before slapping Drew McIntyre in the face, which kind of wasn't the smartest thing to do. But it's okay if you want to show that you can go toe-to-toe with this man you have to have some attitude so that's exactly what he did so the match started and then he proceeded to stick and run um avoiding his larger opponent's fury but then drew mcintyre dumped him on the apron and then answered a standing shooting star press and and executed a brain buster on ricochet for a near fall um but then as ricochet scaled the ropes and came off with a moon salt press Drew hit him midair with a claymore for the win. Even though this match was really short, um, Drew Mac, it looked like Ricochet really had earned Drew McIntyre's respect here. And I just want more from Ricochet. Like there's just so much more that I feel like that they're just not tapping in with him. Because even on commentary, they were just calling him like a, a human highlight reel. They were calling him a superhero in real life and um a lot of different other things too, like an action hero and stuff like that. And I'm seeing like and I'm wondering, like, why aren't they doing more with him? Like, there's just something missing with him. He already, he has talent in spades. There's just something else missing with him. Um, so I'm hoping him being on SmackDown will actually give him more of a, um, a re, like a, 
a reinvigorated sense of self so that was pretty good and then um after the commercial break um mustafa ali went backstage and basically told ricochet that um he and him have a lot in common but then when he offered to team up with him ricochet refused and called um mustafa a jerk and reminded him of how he treated his last partner Mansoor, which is true mustafa treated a lot of the people who are connected with him like trash he treated retribution like trash he treated Mansoor like trash like he's not good with partners <laughs> so i don't see why he felt like it would be any different with ricochet but if they get a feud out of this and i wouldn't be mad about it either because the both of them as cruiserweights you know moving around and flipping around and killing each other that would be great so i'm not mad about that then we had happy talk with happy corbin and madcap moss and this led to them having a tag team match against the viking raiders so it went about as well as you would expect for it to go as eric and ivar basically said that they didn't understand why they were invited on happy talk because they felt like the show sucks so they got to fighting and then it led to a match and then the Viking Raiders dominated the action relatively early, but then a timely clothesline by Corbin and a deep six put Eric down for a near fall. Then Eric um, created some separation, tagged Ivar in, and then the babyface badasses um, continued to roll on. And then um, the former tag champions had the win in hand when Corbin pulled Moss out of harm's way and then bailed on the match, losing via countout. So I thought this was a pretty cowardly move, but then at the same time, what could th- these two do with the Viking Raiders, though? I'll wait. Not much. Okay. So that was what it was, and that's pretty much it. So to end SmackDown, we had Xavier Woods, well, King Woods, versus Jimmy Uso. So then, oh, and then before that, Sami Zayn was... um actually there was two segments with Sami Zayn on Smackdown he was talking to Aaliyah and telling her that maybe she should wear a pantsuit to actually evoke more of a power move backstage or whatever but the suit that she had on was really cute and it really accentuated her body incredibly so Aaliyah needs to just stick with her fashion and then not let you know a man tell her what to wear (laughs) um especially Sami Zayn telling her what to wear in terms of wearing a pantsuit like no like stop it now mind you i'm a sucker for jumpsuits myself but let Aaliyah dress how she's gonna dress um and then her and jeff hardy were talking to each other and that was pretty interesting too but then Sami Zayn also had another encounter backstage with the remaining three members of hit row um since bfab was one of the people who got let go in the stuff they were talking backstage and when they were talking backstage they were talking amongst the means of saying like oh we just got to go on and all this other stuff um and then sammy was basically telling them that he wanted to um show hit row how to make an entrance and telling them you know how to you know have more um of a presence or whatever and so he went out you know and entered the arena with the same crazy over the top dancing that we've come to expect from him with his you know entrance or whatever he was like i'm gonna show you guys how to make an entrance he came out there just dancing like a crazy person and then hit row arrived you know with their entrance and then the song started and then it wasn't even hit row anymore and i was just like wwe y'all are stupid y'all are stupid for letting b fab go 
And to make matters worse, not only is she gone, but y'all took out her voice from the song. Just bring B-Fat back. Either way. Um, seriously, bring her back. But either way, they arrived on the scene and they faked being friendly with Sammy and then turned on him with a bunch of, you know, rap bars and everything, basically saying that, you know, we you think you're cool, but we're not going to take advice from you at all. Like basically saying that you're just out here being goofy and we don't care about you. So I'm assuming that, Sam, that this isn't going to be over between Sami Zayn and all of them. So unless, of course, Sami Zayn finds himself a faction that could possibly fight them. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing Isaiah Swerve Scott versus um, Sami Zayn. I feel like that would be a pretty good match. Um, but yeah, Hit Row being out here was entertaining, but I miss B-Fab. Bring B-Fab back, but whatever. Um, so after that, we had Xavier Woods versus um, King Woods versus Jimmy Uso. So Roman demanded that Jimmy Uso basically fix the problem and then Jay came out there to accompany his brother while um, Kofi came out there to accompany um, King Woods. Jimmy rocked King Woods with a headbutt and then sent him to the floor, seizing control before entering the final commercial break of the night. And then back from the timeout, he continued his control of the match, stunning his opponent with a running knee to the face. Then King Woods weathered the onslaught, fought back, and delivered a running knee of his own. And then a baseball slide dropkick dropped Jimmy as the king rolled. Then a top rope leg drop, which was amazingly executed. Please go back and watch it. Um, earned, nearly earned King Woods the win, but then Jimmy shot his shoulder off the match at two. And then Jimmy answered with a Samoan drop off the second rope, which was really cool too, with a near fall of his own. Then later, a distraction from Sir Kofi caused the referee to miss a roll up. Um, from Jimmy Uso but then moments later um, King Wood scored a rolled up of his own for the win but then with Jimmy Uso's roll up um, Jay tried to cheat for him but then the referee caught it because they love doing that little thing where one person's one Uso is covering another person but then the other Uso uses their feet to basically push it for leverage while the referee isn't watching this didn't work that time and um King Woods wound up winning the match. So after the match, Jimmy teased kneeling before King Woods, which was the deal that they had made. But Roman Reigns came out of nowhere and then rocked King Woods with a Superman punch. And then the bloodline <laughs> delivered on a three-on-two beatdown that saw the Usos target Sir Kofi's knees, which was very painful to listen to in your headphones. Like Kofi kept screaming like he was in so much pain. And I was like, oh my God, stop it. And then the bloodline stood tall to close out the show. So since Survivor Series is coming up, um, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a champion versus champion match. Um, and it has to be between Big E. I would imagine that it would have to be between Big E and Roman Reigns. But I feel like it just wouldn't be the same considering um, I just want it to be the New Day all three members of the new day versus the bloodline but when you have the new day on the same show as the usos and then you have big e on raw that wouldn't necessarily make that much sense in terms of the rivalry you know and the battle for brand supremacy so i just don't know how that's gonna work i don't know how sir kofi and king woods are gonna come up with a third person to try to fight them 
or if this might lead to maybe King Woods having a universal title shot down the line, that would be cool too. Cause he's never had like a big championship like that before. Um, in terms of singles work, that would be cool. But then there's Brock Lesnar still, you know, waiting in the wings during his suspension or whatnot. So I don't know how that will work, but there's a lot of intriguing places they can go with this. So this episode of SmackDown was still pretty good, you know, even considering everything that happened this past Thursday. So yeah, that's pretty much all for the weekly recaps. And now we're going to go to a conclusion. Okay, so now we've reached the end of our time together. This has been a pretty incredible journey um, doing this podcast, the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, I'm really happy to have reached 80 episodes at this point. Um, I'm just really excited that all of the about all of the opportunities and all the blessings that have come with doing this show and doing everything else that I'm involved in and stuff like that. And I'm just really glad and grateful that um, I have people who actually want to listen to me talk about this sport that I love, which is wrestling and talk about other things in life too on this show. And I'm just really, really, really happy um, that I have this platform, um, which is very real, even though I know I can't really physically touch it. Um, it's still very much a real thing. And I'm just really grateful um, to my higher power for giving me the courage to start this show last year um, and for just having a place to talk about what I'm passionate about in wrestling and who I'm passionate about in wrestling and um, all the opportunities that it's opened up for me now. Like if you had told me like 80 episodes ago that I would have been a commentator and a co-host for another wrestling show um, in women's wrestling talk, like I would have looked at you like you're crazy and been like, yeah, I'm just doing this for fun. <laughs> but now it's becoming more and more of a thing and there are things there are new things that I want to try as the show continues to progress like more video things um just other ideas that I have you know out of the blue and stuff like that like there's just so much more stuff that I want to try and do to help the Hardy Wrestling Podcast brand grow and just to help me grow as a performer and just as a person and stuff professionally in this business and I'm just really happy to be a part of it even though sometimes about a good 50% of the time I'm terrified of everything that I have to do because <laughs> this wasn't it's like I say in a lot of my shows like this wasn't planned at all none of this was planned at all but the other 50% of the time I'm excited because I'm just really happy about this journey because I just never thought I'd be on it. But I am and I'm just really grateful for everybody who's ever listened to the show, every guest I've had on the show so far. Um, thank you all. Um, thank you to every person who's ever helped me with the podcast um, monetarily or otherwise. Like, thank you. And I'm just hoping that this show can continue to grow and I can continue to grow as a person and just, you know, we can just continue to love wrestling, even though it can be a pretty jacked up abusive relationship to him sometimes um, where we can love wrestling so much and we can give it so much and it can give us stuff back as well. But then sometimes there's a lot of moments like this past week where everything just kind of lashed out all, on us all at once. And we were all just kind of like, dang, what are we going to do like this? How does this make me feel and stuff? But you know, 
when you love something you don't give up on it so I'm just hoping that all of this you know can just help us to understand that I hope my show is helpful in the idea that it um that even though stuff may happen that we don't like this is still something that we take care of and love still so very much and that we shouldn't just give up on it just because things happen that we don't like and if things happen continuously that we don't like we can always use our voices and raise our voices and use our platforms to rage against the machine and change things change the way things are so that they can be better for the next generation or better for us right now and better you know later on so hopefully my show is a good proponent of that if not you can tell me but I'm just hoping that my show is a good proponent of never giving up on on the things that you love so with that in mind thank you guys so much for supporting my show for 80 episodes and hopefully I can continue for 80 more um and continue to grow as a commentator for the Belladonna division um here in Alabama and continue to grow for women's wrestling talk which is continuing to grow every single day not just with me but with other colleagues I have you know who are on the show as well thank you guys I love y'all so much and you know just we can just continue to just love this thing so with that in mind also another way that the Hardy Wrestling Podcast is growing is the fact that I now have an official Hardy Wrestling Podcast store I have a merchandise store on tpublic.com I posted some of it on my social media outlets, but yeah, I have t-shirts, I have mugs, I have bags, I have buttons, I have <laughs> hoodies, I have kids t-shirts, I even have onesies for babies. So with the um, with the logo of the podcast on it. So if you guys want to go on tpublic.com and type in the Hardy Wrestling Podcast Store or HWP Store, you can find all that stuff there. You can get it in multiple colors. Um, You don't have to just get it in black. You can get it in multiple colors as well. I also have baseball tees as well. So and long sleeve shirts as well. So please, please support my my um, um, store. Please buy things um, because, you know, your girl is out here trying to make you know have another hustle on top of the job that i already have so please you know support the hardy wrestling podcast store please support hwp store continue to share it get the word out about it you know just buy whatever you want to buy and when you do buy something take a picture of it and you know tag the show in it on social media you know and just let me know that you've bought something that that would mean the world to me right about now it just started so you know you have all this time but please buy from the hwp store i'm really excited about it so yeah um with that in mind thank you for listening to the hardy wrestling podcast as always you can follow me on social media on instagram and twitter at queen steph hardy and follow the show at hardy wrestling podcast on instagram and on twitter at hardy wrestle pod and just continue to just keep the momentum going you know share anytime you see a clip that i post that you like and just talk about the show and all of that and just continue to support the show and and continue to support me as i grow as a wrestling professional out here in these streets so with that in mind thank you so much um and i hope that you're being healthy and safe and being your best self and not letting stuff get you down because this week i had a rough week but i'm trying to you know come out of that stage that i was in mentally and just be happy with where i am now 
and just be satisfied with the work that I'm doing and knowing that you don't have to do everything in order to prove something out here. Like you can be enough and not have to tire yourself out doing every and anything that you get your hands on. So with that in mind, I hope you're taking care of yourself and being your best selves and continuing to love wrestling. And um, until next time, this is the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Bye, y'all.